But let's just bow our heads and word of prayer. Father, this morning, oh, thanks for music. That was really cool. Love the gentle instruments, the great voices, um, and the songs that cause our hearts to warm up. Because sometimes we can show up in a gathering like this and really not feel like being here. And suddenly your Holy Spirit uses music to kind of go, ha, ah, this sentence is for you, that tune is for you. Meeting that person, that, that's why you're here. Who knows what the reason is? But we gather for fellowship and connections and relationship. This morning, I pray you open our eyes. I pray you open our minds and show us something encouraging. In fact, teach us something about what we need to believe and what we already believe. Be our reminder. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get into this. Resolve. Resolve to believe. And no, I'm not talking about believing uh, to become a Christian. That's great and really important. But this resolve to believe, I want to lay some groundwork before we get to the whole uh, foundation of, of my purpose here. What does it mean to resolve? Well, let's look at the word resolve because it helps us having a, a working de- definition of resolve. It means to come to a definite or earnest decision about determining to do something. I have resolved that I shall live to the full. Or settle or find a solution to a problem, a dispute, or a contentious matter to settle, solve, and fix. As in, the firm aims to resolve problems within 30 days. So there's a resolve. And lastly, more of a noun, the resolve or firm determination to do something or not to do something. Resolve. Almost, some people use the word conviction, but conviction isn't, it's more of an opinion. And those, those can change. But the resolve. I want to show you some examples in Scripture of individuals who uh, resolved to do or believe or act a certain way. Some had a, a truth already in their heart and resolved. Others were, had to be spoken to, and then they believed it and resolved to act accordingly. Both are important. I know sometimes in January we do this whole resolution, I resolve to lose weight. And then two weeks later, not chance. Ah, oh, next year. You know, or I resolve to create this pattern in my life. I resolve to change my job. I resolve to uh, love my family better. I resolve, and we, we do all these resolutions. We have these lists. And it's fun to joke about and stuff. And some of them have great value. But what does it do to us? Do, do we believe the, the thing we're resolving to do well or not? Well, let's take a look at a guy named Nehemiah. I'm not going to read the whole story. but uh, Or am I? Yes, I am. <laughs> so, this is one of my favorite stories when it comes to a man with conviction and resolves to do something about something that's happened. Here it is. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Xerxes' reign, by the way, this is in about 446 B.C., you can go look at that chart in the back, and it's, it says it too. I had to look it up to make sure it was on the chart where I kind of thought it was because there's a whole timeline uh, map out there, great big poster. Uh, you can see what world events happened according in the same biblical times. Uh, worth looking at. It's a lot of fun. But this is, it happened about 446 B.C. I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. 
I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. Let's pause it for a moment. Nehemiah is far away from his home city. He hears his hometown is in a mess. The walls of Jerusalem torn down is like a major, major problem. In fact, what, when he ends up finding out later, if you read the rest of the story, uh, they are torn down and then other leaders are paid to keep the political situation calm so the walls are not rebuilt to keep the Jews in control. It's a big setup, big political game. In fact, later, Nehemiah, you know, they're going to try and take him out and, and kill him. Uh, draw him aside, but he's too focused on his work. It's a fantastic story. So he hears, but the walls are down and the gates, the beautiful gates, are burned and destroyed. He knows what this means to the people in Jerusalem. He knows what this means to all of his fellow family and friends and everybody else. It's a, it's a demoralizing there's no way to, to rise up from this with all the fighting going on. So he does this. He hears it, and then he sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. And this is cool. This is his prayer. Then I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Old covenant. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations you gave us through your servant Moses. Now, I love this butter up part, you know. <laughs> Do you ever catch that? Oh, Lord, if God, if Father of heaven and earth, how wonderful if you are. Now, here's my to-do list of all my requests. You know how we get to that? We were told we're supposed to do praise first and, and all these, these little systems of manipulating God. Did you catch that? Some of the stuff we read in books, stuff that's been written, I preached it a long time ago. You know, here's how to pray, and you've got to butter up God first. Because then, oh, isn't that so nice? I'm sure, what would you like? It's like kids and their parents, they know, oh, mom, you look beautiful today. What do you want, kid? You know, <laughs> that kind of a thing. But that's, that's not his heart. He begins with awe and respect. And he's, he's not saying this to God, so God's reminded of this. He's reminding himself of it and speaking the truth back to God. So here's what he does. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are faithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I'll bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. If this has happened. The scattering has now taken place. The Jews are dispersed everywhere. They've been taken captive in Babylon. This is a brutal, brutal time for the Israelites. They are scattered. And so he's calling on God. Hey, God, if we do obey, please draw us back as you promised you would. 
The people you rescued by your great power and the strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Why am I using this story? The resolve. He heard of pain of his fellow family and citizens, and he responded. He resolved to do something about it. He was planning to go to the king and ask. And man, he was going to ask. Not only was he asking for time off, a lot of time off, but also a lot of money and a lot of supplies. Like seriously, who would do that? He was the cupbearer to the king. He was the first line defense if somebody tried to poison the king. He's the one who goes. It means his position was extremely trusted. But the point that I'm trying to make this morning is he heard of pain. He heard of agony. It wasn't just the walls. It wasn't just, just the, uh, the um, gates burned. Those are just the symbols of absolute despair and destruction. What do we do when we hear of the pain and destruction, whether it's emotional destruction whether it's crisis in a family, what, what do we do? What does it do to our hearts? Even on the news, we're such a news-driven society now. Everything's out there. Do we just switch the channel now? I have to admit, I'm, I'm tired of so much negative news. It's over and over and over and over. Disasters all around the world. You know what's happening? I, I believe we may need to look inside, too, to our own families and say, hey, If something comes to my attention, will I do something about it? Will I react and then respond? And Nehemiah does that. He hears the story and he responds. He goes to the king, asks for a lot of money, a lot of trees, a lot of for the building the wood, and the king just goes nuts and blesses him like crazy. God answers his prayer. And he goes and he rebuilds the walls in rapid fire speed. The fastest ever. They could not believe how quickly those walls were rebuilt. That's a, anyway, that's another sermon. Next, Joseph resolved to believe, and then he acted. In the story of Joseph and Mary, he was betrothed to Mary. We just went through this at Christmas, so you know the story. He has, uh, you know, he, he, he finds out his girl's pregnant. Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I do love her. I really, really, really love her. Oh, what am I going to do? Breaking my heart. And so he resolves to put her away quietly. An angel comes, and he sets the record straight. And he responds to the angel's words. He believes the words, and then he's resolved to follow through with what the angel said. If somebody speaks truth into you, and you hear it, you know it's true, do you follow through, either to study more of, hey, confirm, or I'm going to act on this? Or are we so lackadaisical in this culture now that we just don't do that stuff anymore? So, well, if I feel like it, I'll put it in my calendar if it works. I think we need to learn to listen to conviction, convincing of the Holy Spirit more often. I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to all of us in different ways, in different whispers, different languages, different actions, different personality types. 
Are we listening? Is our ear tuned for that? Are we even, do we even have an antenna up? I don't know if you remember the old radios that I know you kind of pull them out, you know, and they kind of, kind of remember? I know you don't know what an antenna is if you're under 20, but it's like, how do you dial these phones? You know. But if those things break, you don't get a reception. At least it's really bad. So your antenna is not broken. It's still attached. The Holy Spirit knows how to get your attention. But if you were to know he's trying, she's trying to reach into you and speak truth, maybe just words of comfort, maybe just encouragement, maybe just reminding you, are you willing to listen? Joseph resolved to believe and act. Daniel resolved in advance. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. This is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all of them were hauled away and, and taken away and they were going to be trained to become professional Babylonians so they can convince the Jews because they were Jews who were then going to be brainwashed into Babylonian and then convince the rest of the Jews coming also. Like, it was, again, another fantastic story. But something happened with Daniel. One translation says he was determined not to defile. In another one, it says Daniel's purposed in his heart. Or he made up his mind. David resol- Daniel resolved. There's a conviction that happened, and he did this before he arrived in Babylon. All four of his friends did. This is huge. A couple of lessons we can learn from this. This is, this is wild. Some thoughts on him. He resolved in advance. Sometimes we don't give a thought to temptations and troubles and uh, looking ahead at all. We're not ready to respond to crisis that may come or situations that may come. Well, maybe we should. Maybe if there's a repeated problem in our lives, we need to perhaps resolve to find a better way to respond because the old way ain't working. Bad habits. There are, a way to do, there are ways to do that. He resolved in advance. That's big. It's very much like an athletic or intellectual training, medical training, preparing for a circumstance, ready to act. Uh, let's pick a sport for, for one, basketball. Some of you like it. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to. Um, but there are, uh, when I started watching basketball, the very, one of the first games, thanks, Michael, because it's, where's Michael? Um, he's out there teaching. It's his fault, watching a Raptors game. And so I'm watching this game, and I thought, oh, this is pretty boring. Boom, 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 boom. Like, really? You know, it's far more, far more exciting watching this. But anyway, all right, just saying. But I noticed something. It was playing chess. These players are practicing a run, and eventually they'll get it right, and boom, score. And then boom, 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 same thing. It's a, it's a practice, a strategy of, of playing plays. So that when they hit that spot, they know exactly the ball's going to be there. They don't even have to almost look. It's going to be there. They've responded. They've prepared in advance for what could happen in that play. Football, same thing. It's precise. Hockey, supposed to be precise. <laughs> Go Leafs, they did great last night. I cannot believe that. I mean, I believe it. I believe, I believe it. But it's just like that. Are we we resolved in advance? So when Daniel prepared in advance, when the situation came, he was already prepared. Medical people, they're prepared in advance to prepare, especially with an ambulance person. If we see this thing, 
We, here's what we do. Like there are steps for certain situations. Firefighter, oh my goodness, yeah. Exactly the same thing going to a scene. You observe, you figure out, you've already planned back with the guys how to fight certain types of fires and circumstances. If it's a chemical thing or what, it's all planned. Why are we doing that with our lives? For some key areas, not for every single area. You can't do that. You drive yourself nuts. How about this one? How about learning to rely on Christ in you, in all of it, and then go from there? It's the, the foundation. What most of us do is quickly run for the strategies. Do two, boom, 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 figure all the stuff that we got to do, when instead, maybe the circumstance is more about our relationship, not about the circumstance and the trouble and the crisis hitting us. He was willing to stand alone when necessary. When all the others are saying this, he and three, his three buddies chose not. First of all, they didn't bow to the uh, statue either. All right? And they didn't eat the food of the king. Next, why? Why wouldn't they eat the food of the king? Because some of the meat offered was forbidden by Jewish law. Or they could have been thinking, hey, if we start eating that guy's meat and potatoes and all that stuff, we're going to become dependent on the king's lavish lifestyle and we'll forget who our God is. It's possible. Who knows? Choose what was right. They chose what was right in the middle of wrong. He was determined not to give in to the pressure, the peer pressure. This is a good one for teenagers. Oh, my goodness. All the pressures going on in their worlds and in our job worlds and in the college world. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, Daniel's a fantastic example of that. He was with others in his convictions. He was not alone. This is big. I've seen situations where the, who you are around determines your decision-making process. And there I can, I got a whole bunch of, ideas in my head. I don't know which one to bring out that's safe. Okay? Relational trouble. I've seen people that are surrounded by an opinion of how to react in a bad relationship like this, and others that are like this. One say fight to keep, others say run. And you got all the voices of people around you, and you listen to the voices. Who you have around you matters. It does. Good friends that you can trust even if you start to disagree, it's not about who is right and who is wrong. It's not. It's about relationship, good voices, good insight, people you trust, those that show maturity, maturity in faith, not religious rules. In faith, the faith of Christ. Next. I want to show you something, and I want you to, if I had the choice to make something happen, I would make you resolve. <laughs> but I can't. But will you resolve in advance to believe who you are in Christ? This is why we're here as a church. This is the foundation of Hope Fellowship. It's the foundation of everything I believe and teach. Not just here at church, throughout the week, wherever I go, this stuff is foundation. And I sometimes forget. This morning, I want to remind you. I want to read to you I want you to hear and see, so you get multiple inputs, these verses that can speak to your soul. One of these might be the very reason you're here this morning, to be reminded of some crucial truths 
Number one, you are God's child. You're not an orphan. You have a place. Let me read to you four verses real quick. John 1.12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 4.7. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir, one who inherits, and you will. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty, quoting the Old Testament. Galatians 3.26, I love this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You're a child of God. Deep breath. You don't really have to, but I'm saying deep breath. Let that sink in. You're a child of God. You're not alone. I know people feel alone in their circumstances. Even coming to church as a church family, you can still feel alone because you may not have all the connections that help you feel connected. That can take time. And for some people, it's harder than others. I don't know. You're also his friend. John 15, 15 says this, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. I love this next sentence. Listen carefully. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. He let him in on a secret. Jesus came to reveal the Father. You're his friend. You say you have no friends? Yes, you do. Something I'm discovering is we don't do relationships well. We don't. We do conditional behaviors and acceptance well. If you act like this, then yeah, you, I can hang out with you. You look like that, yeah, we can hang out. You talk like this, yep, we can hang out. If you don't, nope. We don't take time to know the heart of individuals. And we can't know everybody. It's impossible. But we have some things to learn about relationship. In fact, the video series I'm thinking of showing for the Wednesday night, it's by a guy named Dr. Bruce Walkup from Australia, Paracoresis, Australia. He has a series called What is the Gospel? And I want to take you through it. It's deep, especially session four. Nobody's seen that one yet. Sessions 1, 2, and 3 explain why we have a problem in the West understanding Eastern, Western, and dualism. Why there's a conflict of hearing this gospel that has been the message of truth since the early church. And why here in Western culture there's a divide. Why some of the things I've been sharing have been in, in conflict with what we've heard in the past. This one answers it. It's brilliant. So anyway, that's a teaser. I guess I have to do it now. <laughs> You are one with him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You're one with Christ. You're not him. He's not you. But you're one with Christ. Colossians 1.17 says, Psst, Here's the secret. Christ in you. And it looks like this. Oneness. Oh, by the way, 
That's the basis of all relationships. Believe me, I don't have it all together. I don't. I'm hungry to know this better. I'm hungry to see it lived out in my personal life with my family, with you, with the community. You have been specifically chosen by him. You are chosen. Ephesians 1, 3-8 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Are you seeing all this? Are you hearing this? Let me repeat that one part because if you don't hear this part, you're going to try to attain something from God that's already yours. That's the religious world. That was my world for many, many years, trying to get something that was already mine, begging God for something that was already mine. For me, the issue was forgiveness, wanting I didn't feel forgiven. I did not know I was forgiven, and I'd been a pastor for years. I thought I was forgiven only the moment I asked, and it was only good to the next time I screwed up. What a messed up religion. Listen, the Lord who has blessed us, past tense, you have been blessed. Right now, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You lack nothing. You don't have to ask God for more of anything. Nothing. Not more of a spirit. That's impossible. You're one with Him. You don't have to ask for more patience. He's given you all His patience. Try and don't live out of the flesh pattern of, of self-patience. Live out of His patience. There, name anything. He's given it to you. It's all yours. He's given you every special, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because you're united with Christ. Whatever is Christ's is yours. Just think about that for a minute. That's a lot. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. When did that take place? Before. Oh, let the Holy Spirit figure that one out for you. Eternal. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. Oh my goodness, did you just hear that? Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit wanted to adopt you. You're a wanted person. This is beautiful. This is the gospel. He did it before we asked. Now believe it. Resolve to believe what he says about you. Every single human lives their lives. Everybody, without doubt, I can say this with absolute confidence, everybody lives their lives based on their concept of who they believe God to be. And everybody then lives their lives based on who they think they are. So if you think you're nobody, unloved, you're going to start acting it out 
And it's a very difficult life. If you don't think God exists, you'll act like it. You think he's, he's a um, uh, Santa Claus, then you'll act like he's a Santa Claus. If you think he's a mean old ogre and a judge ready to clobber you over the head, you're going to live like that in fear of a false God that doesn't even exist. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with His blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Now, my problem is I can't access all that wisdom and understanding. I wish I had it all. Wait a minute, but I do. But how does that come in? I bet you my mind would be blown if I got it all. So given my time on earth, I'm unlearning stuff and I'm discovering new things. And wisdom and understanding is coming. Listen to the older ones, folks. Those who are younger, be careful with the absolute beliefs. You have not arrived. I'm halfway. Um, I have not arrived. (laughs) There are those who are older. They have not arrived either. None of us have. But we need to keep, be careful. You don't become arrogant and, and locked in to this is exactly, and I will never change my belief. Let the Holy Spirit soften you and change you. First of all, let it begin with this. The most basic truth of who you are in Christ. You are forgiven. This is my biggie. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. For he has, past tense, rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Past tense. The world has been forgiven. Forgiveness is not the issue. Believing you're forgiven and acting in accordance, that's the issue. You have to beg for His forgiveness. I declare His forgiveness now. Instead of, for years I say, dear Jesus, please forgive me for that. And He's saying, I already did. (laughs) Now my prayer is this. This is more biblical in my opinion. Father, I confess, agree with you. That's the word confess. It means to agree with God. I confess I am forgiven. I agree with you, I am forgiven. Thank you. What I just did is not consistent with my identity. Thank you that I am forgiven. Help me to walk in the truth of who I really am each day, each moment, each hour, each second. I'm not begging for anything. I'm affirming and I'm repeating back to God what is already true. I don't make it true. It is true. Do you hear the difference? You're complete in Him. Some of us don't feel complete. Some people feel like screw-ups. They feel like they can't do anything right. Um, people are always judging them. But you are complete. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. (laughs) You're one with completeness. 
Completeness dwells in you and is your identity. You're not Christ. He's not you, but you're one. You're in union. It's the greatest kept secret of the Western church. You're also not condemned. Romans 8, 1-2. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You don't have to pray to be released from the power of sin. You already are. Some people cave in and they submit themselves to that and become a slave to it. But it's a false slavery. It's only in their mind. You're free. Right now. You don't have to beg for it. Whatever pattern is going on, you are already free from it. And when you start to begin to believe it, it loses its power. You may need to seek some help and work through some patterns. It depends on what the problem is. But you are free, which is the foundation of Christ-centered counseling. Not biblical counseling, Christ-centered counseling. Not all biblical counseling is good. They're trying to make you follow the rules of the Bible. And you can find all kinds of crazy stuff in there. <laughs> but Christ-centered counseling, where you know your identity, that's where it begins. You are unconditionally loved by Him. i got five minutes. <laughs> you are unconditionally loved by Him. And I want to read this whole thing for you because it's just too good. It says in Romans 8, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. Having called them, He gave them the right standing with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them His glory. Oh, <laughs> well. What shall we say about such wonderful things? Is God for us? Then who could be against us? Seriously. Oh, seriously, he's not in there, but. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us from God, whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. You have right standing with God right now. Regardless of your behavior, no matter how horrible, you have right standing. Oh, the transformation of the mind that can come, the repentance, the metanoia, the renewing of the mind, doing a 180. Huh. When you believe this, this is repentance, changing your mind. Mm, love it. Gets better. Can anything ever separate us from His love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake they're killed every day, being slaughtered like sheep. No! Despite all these things, overwhelmingly, victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Victory is not a process, it is a person. Jesus is your victory if you're trying to overcome something. And I am 
convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about, the, about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. Not even the wrong-sounding voices of a bad peer group can separate you from the love of God. Not even bad decisions, horrific patterns of decisions can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. No whisper of an angel, no deception of a demon can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can. Have that confidence. Paul did. He was convinced. Do you know what happens when we live a life convinced of this? The confidence we then have? Amazing. You're safely hidden with Christ in God. You're secure. You're in a tight place. Colossians 3.3, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You are assured that God will finish what He started in you. Philippians 1.6 says, I am certain, it's kind of resolved, convinced, <laughs> that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That goes for you, and it goes for your loved ones. Have you ever been convinced of the love of God at all for a millisecond? Ever? As a young child to now? Ever? That means He began a good work in you. It's okay. The loved ones you're worried about, God already began the good work. Chill, which is really hard to do as a parent just is or a spouse it's hard but our focus is not their end determination our focus is Christ and loving them do you see the difference we can become obsessed with destination destination obsession are they going to make it to heaven or not really you're that much of a control freak you have to know that is that really the issue I think love is Love one another. God started it, He'll finish it. You have divine life dwelling inside you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? We've made that pretty clear so far. You are already seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Ephesians 2.6 says, For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Are you seeing a theme here? United, oneness, yeah, you better. If not, I'm pointing it out just in case you can't see it. You are a divine work of art. Not a piece of work. You're a divine work of art. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. <gasps> Wait, did you just hear that last sentence? 
So far, it's been rest. Oh, wonderful. I mean, Jesus, it's so great. Yes. Oh, just, oh, don't, don't bug me. Don't. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. You can be all that thank you, but he's prepared work for us to do. This is not a passive life. And I'm afraid the original message that I first learned about grace taught passivity. There's much to do in power, in the power of Christ. And each one has been gifted. Everybody. And it does not have to look like a church for the stuff he's called you to do. Don't be so narrow-minded on that. He's called you to love your neighbor, love your family. If you're a parent raising small ones, that's a privilege. Is that not enough? Why can't that be your ministry? (laughs) Ouch. That goes for all kinds of categories. I just can't remember them all right now. You are able to approach God confidently. These next two verses are from the Passion Translation. Ephesians 3.12 says, We have boldness through Him and free access as kings before the Father because of our complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. Some translations say because of our faith in Christ. Uh Uh-uh. It's about His faith, not ours. It's about His faithfulness that we have the confidence. Ephesians 3.12. Lastly, you have unlimited potential through Christ. Philippians 4, 12 and 13 says, and again, from the Passion Translation, I know what it means to lack. I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. Read that again. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. You are not alone. You don't have to work through whatever crisis you're in, struggle, battle, worry for the future. You don't do that alone. You surrender to Christ. Christ, be my strength in this. And where I can't figure it out, can you remind me when I try to take over? I do that one a lot. (laughs) Just being honest. It's easy to forget. Don't forget who you are. When you actually believe this stuff, transforms your life. Then you move on to more things. This is just the beginning. So what are we going to do with this? I don't know. Each of you, let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do with this. My hope is, and my belief is, we teach an incredible message here at Hope. So why aren't we telling others? Safely, not in the traditional evangelistic way. Oh, let's kind of get more people in here. No, through authentic relationships. Why not invite? What, what, would, what would happen if here at Hope Fellowship, each one invited one person next year? That's it. 
and let the Holy Spirit take care of that part. That's what I mean. Listen, let the Holy Spirit prompt you to invite somebody. That way, it's not up to you. Otherwise, you start thinking, oh, I can invite, oh, I can invite that. Stop that. That's self-made. The Holy Spirit is big enough to authentically invite somebody to hear this message if they're ready to hear this. This is fantastic news. And I hope it's transforming your hearts, minds, into action. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we never grow tired of hearing about our identity in you. Who am I in Christ? That's amazing. But Father, there's more. I want to know who you are in me. A different focus. And then I want to know who we in union are to the world and loving others. Becoming like that tree on the wall. Mature. Sharing. Mentoring. Discipling. Authentically caring for this community in this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. May you, as the Holy Spirit, individually speak to each person here and those who hear this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.